Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 242 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks first to Text Expander for sponsoring our show. Communicate smarter with Text Expander. Gather, perfect, and share your knowledge. Recall your best words instantly and repeatedly. Learn more at textexpander.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves. Embrace technology and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. In our last episode, we discussed the idea of holding personal quarterly retreats and offered some tips on how they might work for you. In this episode, we want to focus on unconferences and my recent experience at Failure Camp, uh, an unconference at Vanderbilt Law School, which was anything but a failure. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, I will be working hard to keep my voice, uh, but we'll indeed be discussing the idea of the unconference as an alternative to traditional conferences. In the second segment, we'll talk about the value of whiteboarding, including some digital whiteboard tools. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, the unconference. A few months ago, after ABA Tech Show, um, on this very podcast, we discussed the future of the Legal Technology Conference, but we really didn't get too much into the topic of the unconference and whether it's a viable alternative um, to the conferences that we're used to attending, like Tech Show, ILTA, Legal Week, and the like. Dennis, um, you just attended a conference that you just called it. It's called Failure Camp, and I definitely want to learn more about that. Can we start there? Yeah, so let me, let me first talk about Failure Camp, which was held at uh, Vanderbilt Law School. Cat Moon, Larry Bridgesmith were uh, the hosts of that. Really good attendance, probably, I would say, at least 60 or, or maybe more people. It was designed around the notion of a camp. So there was storytelling and there were camp snacks, and, and there was a theme that ran through it. Um, Art, there was art that you could do. Uh, we did murals. We had we had like camp T-shirts, stuff like that. So it was it's kind of fun. I, I really liked the thematic part of it. So the failure camp notion comes from the idea to say, well, especially when we talk about innovation, there's this notion that a lot of the things that we try are going to fail, and that's important for us to realize, and it's important to learn from that. And failure is can be a difficult thing for lawyers. So it was uh, kind of combining all those elements um, into this notion of failure camp. 
which could have been called Resilience Camp, because that's really one of the main themes that, that came out of it. So it was a really interesting approach. And you had we had uh, lawyers, uh, some uh, paralegals, some, some legal tech people, um, and others. And it was just a, a really fascinating and, uh, and very personal experience. So, so you get to learn a lot about uh, people's life stories and, and some of the things that they had gone through and, and what motivated some of the, the changes they had, had made and how they had come back to look at something that at the time felt like a big failure to them that actually turned out to be a key turning point in, in, in their life. So I don't know, sort of a, a long explanation, Tom, but does that give you a sense of what was going on there? It gives me a sense, and I know we're probably going to talk about it a little bit more in a second, but maybe let's take a, a step back and talk about the idea of failure camp as an unconference and how it differs from a regular conference. I mean, I, I'll, I'll start right out and say you said that the crowd was 60 and you characterize that as a pretty good crowd. Whereas if I compare that against other conferences, I'd think, you know, that's pretty small. But the goal for that, probably 60 is probably the right amount of people for what it was intended to do. So maybe we could start with, with a dis discussion on what an unconference is and why it's different from a regular conference. Okay, so I think if if you had what I would call like the regular conference on failure, you would have a keynote speaker at the in the morning talking about failure and what it means, and then you'd have these panel sessions on different sort of theoretical aspects of of failure, and you know maybe from some different perspectives, and and then the audience would be just sort of listening to a bunch of presentations without a lot of chance for interplay when was an unconference do you you move away from the that structured agenda although the, they took an interesting approach to speakers here and 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 I'll talk about the storytelling uh, a little bit later but that so everything then became more interactive. So the audience decides the topics they want to talk about. People uh, go uh, off and, and have discussions with groups of people interested in the same thing. You can move around during them. And you actually get to learn from from everybody who's there. So that's, to me, the unconference piece of it. Although, you know, there's uh, – uh, we can talk about this. I think there's a couple uh, ways people use unconference these days. But to me, the unconference is that notion that sort of uh, very loosely structured, uh, set the agenda by the attendees, lots of interaction, and you kind of go where the day goes with, with the people there. And so uh, for me, it's I learned a lot, and it's, uh, it's fun, and uh, in terms of uh, actually getting to interact with the people at the conferences, there's, there's really nothing like it in the, in the regular conference world. So in, in getting ready for this podcast, I went and I did a little bit of research on the different types of unconferences, and maybe I should say different ways of facilitating an unconference. And I think that in your notes, you'd mentioned that there's two meanings of, of an unconference, a TED style and an open space model. But if you just go to the basic Wikipedia page for unconference, they will tell you that there are over 10 different ways to hold an unconference. And I really think that that's, that's a little misleading because when you look at some of these ways, they seem to be related to each other and they have a lot in common. Um, but I was struck with the different 
methods of facilitating an unconference. And so they, they I'll, I'll list them real quickly. Um, one way is what they call the birds of a feather, which are more informal discussion groups sitting around and talking about things. Um, they have the thing that I know I've participated in before when we talked about, uh, I want to say either LexThink or BlogThink, which you're going to talk about later, um, an, an unconference that both you and I attended in the past. That was, at least part of it, was what they call a dot-mocracy, which is voting for topics with dots. Whoever wants to talk about those uh, things put, puts a dot on it, and, and, and the winner wins. The most number of dots wins. Um, there's something called the fishbowl where people meet in concentric circles and the people in the middle are the fishbowl and they talk and everybody around listens. Then the rest of them the look, there's a whole bunch of them that are kind of related to the TED Talk style, which is um, Ignite Talks or lightning talks, people speaking for five minutes each with a time presentation. Uh, there's one that I'd never heard of before called a Pecha Kucha. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, but Pecha Kucha is 20 slides and 20 seconds per slide, so kind of a variation on the lightning talk. Um, and then it sounds to me like part of Failure Camp was at least what this definition would call either a knowledge cafe or a world cafe, where people would sit at tables and talk, and they'd move around to different tables, and there might be facilitators at each table talking about things, um, which seems to be limited to the final version there um, that, that was listed. It was called speed geeking, um, which is a little bit like speed dating, but you're moving from table to table and talking to people. But I think I, my, my long-winded explanation there is kind of my way of saying there's a lot of way to there are a lot of ways to have an unconference and and you're not really bound by anything and i suppose that's kind of why it's called an unconference you don't have a lot of rules and there's a lot of ways to do it yeah i think people are so concerned that the the traditional conference model is is broken fundamentally and that they think that anything that's an alternative to the to the standard approach so what i would say like uh lecture presentation, longer sessions, focused, uh, not a lot of time to, for people to interact. I mean, like some some conferences, I mean, you barely get bathroom breaks, it seems like these days, because um, there's so much content being pushed at you. And, and so I think there is, that's why I said, so to me, there's, there's sort of like the two ends of the spectrum. So one is this sort of modified TED Talk approach where you're saying, let's do the presentations, but we'll put some kind of time limit on them. And then we'll we'll throw a bunch of those at people. And because it's sort of like the 60 tips in 60 minutes notion is like, hey, if this one doesn't work for you, then don't worry, because in six minutes, there will be another one that you might find really interesting. And so there's that end, which I don't even like as a speaker anymore, Tom. I, I just, it, it just wears me out in, in those things, because um, everybody runs out of time. It's a really uncomfortable uh, form of presentation. So I, I tend not to like those. And then I always go clear to the other end, which actually really unnerves a lot of people, which is what I call the open space technology approach that Owen Harrison came up with and has this weird name, 
which really doesn't have agenda. It's like you said, people uh, decide what they want to talk about, uh, you know, on, on a, a large theme typically. And then you decide who wants to talk about that and you spend the time talking about it. The notion is the whole group together is smarter than any one presenter. And, and that if you get people talking um, on things they're interested in, you potentially get great results. And so it's very loosely facilitated. And so I, I think that what I've noticed in, in these approaches is, is like how much you're willing to trust your audience to come up with the agenda. And then the companion piece of that is if you go to something that has no agenda at all, can you attract people to come to it? Or, and can you get somebody to write a check to pay for them to come to it? So I don't know, that's, I don't know, Tom, does that kind of reflect your thinking as well it does and and i think but but i'll say that i'm although i like the idea of the unconference i'm probably a little bit more of a curmudgeon on it because i think that there's a lot of uncertainty and uh, around it and, and i think you've sort of described part of what it is I, I think that the benefits of a traditional conference are pretty straightforward although people are unhappy with them the idea is is that at many of them, you can gain important knowledge that you can take back with them and use in your practice, whether it's substance of legal knowledge, practice management help, or whatever. But with an unconference, you're relying on the audience to, you're relying on the attendees to give you your takeaway, to give you something to take back with you. And, you know, one of my questions about failure camp and any unconference is beyond the time spent networking beyond the time spent making relationships and things like that what do attendees get and 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 maybe maybe the idea is that they're not getting knowledge like a regular conference maybe that's not the point maybe the point is to develop things you know for example with a failure camp i would hesitate to attend to travel all the way to a place to attend a meeting solely on the topic of failure as it applies to innovation. I would be more likely to attend a two-day unconference where one day talks about innovation in the law and the other one maybe talks about failure or that it's interwoven somehow because I, I don't really see, and granted I wasn't there and I'm sure you're gonna tell me in a minute, but I don't really see what the takeaway is from, from, a, from a conference like that unless you're also it, it, this, I guess the problem that I have with an unconference is, is that what's the next step? What do you do with it? it it's, it's good that it, you're there for the day, but there's a lot riding on what happens afterwards to make the actual unconference a valuable event, I think. Yeah. So uh, just to go back in history a little bit. So, Thomas, you, you mentioned Matt Holman and I put together the Lex Think Conference and the Blog Think Conference, which was probably getting close to 15 years ago. And the original Lex Think Conference, we did totally unconference, open space style. And because Matt and I had gone to an open space event 
a couple of months before, and we just loved it. And one of the things I remembered was just the look of terror in your eyes when you said, oh, my God, there's no structure. There's no agenda to this. I got to figure out what's going on. And uh, I don't know whether you recall that, but that's one of my memories from, from LexThink. So when we did BlogThink. Or you may just be making up that memory, <laughs> but I'll, I'll let you go do that for oh, the I sake know, of this story. I know how comfortable you are when things aren't un are, are unstructured. So you could be right. I know you're not a big fan of structure. So when we did BlogThink, we said, okay, so because people are a little bit nervous, what if we do day one is short presentations with a lot of Q&A. And so I don't know if you remember, Rick Clow did a, a whole presentation where he just said, he just asked the audience, what questions do you want me to talk about? And that was his presentation. So there's a looseness to it. Uh, but there was like, okay, we're going to kind of get everybody up to speed. The second day it was all open source, like whatever you came to talk about, this is your chance to talk about it. And so I think you can, so, so the, these different combinations, and I actually like the way the blog think approach worked. And that's what I've suggested to people in other settings. And you see some echoes of that these days in some different events. So, so I think that David Cowan's solid events, um, at least the original one kind of fell into the uh, almost the blog think type of, of category. And I think that was great. But to go back to your thing, it was like, what's, what's the takeaway that's really interesting? Uh, to me, from the LexThink and the BlogThink conferences, there are still people I talk to on a regular basis that I might not have known otherwise. Um, I got, there's some projects I'm working on. I'm getting feedback from people that's directly traceable uh, to those events. Um, and there are some, some other projects that came out of that. There, you know, BlogThink, there's definitely one, maybe two law firms formed out of that and some other uh, business relationships as well as a longstanding friendship. So that's what I think is unique about the unconference as opposed to the, the traditional conference because you have the chance to actually um, meet those people. I totally agree with you about that part because remembering those two conference unconferences remembering LexThink and BlogThink all I can remember that I took away from that was getting to know a lot of great people and being able to network with them I don't remember anything else that I took away from that I just don't uh, it's and that's been a while I don't remember terror in my eyes either so I may be <laughs> I, I may be blocking out a lot of stuff but um and I don't know that that's a negative about the unconference, but I think that's my one major thing about it is, is that to be valuable, you have to know, you have to understand that what you're going into is, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. And I think that's, that's really the critical piece of an unconference is, is that it depends on the attendees to make it a valuable experience. And, um, and if you're not willing to put that work into it to do something, and you know, I guess that also depends what if the attendees don't know what the heck they're talking about? What if they, what if they, what if somebody dominates the conversation and they're crazy? They, that's, it's, it, to me, it's, there's a lot of wild cards. I'm assuming that most of them work out. They worked out when we had ours, when we had those conferences that I went to. But I think there's, it, it's a very interesting concept that has the, potential to go wrong and and 
and I would say that some of them do and some of them don't. Yeah, I mean, I think that part of it is so like in the open space concept, there is this notion of you vote with your feet. And so like you can sample the different conversations and if there's something that's not working for you, you just go um, to another one. And so like if you have that sort of crazy rambling person dominating something, what's going to happen is they're going to end up talking to themselves uh, at some point. So there is that, and you would hate, you know, it's it's no fun when you think you've pitched this really cool idea, um, and you're the only person in the room. But it just means you go to something else and start talking about that. So you were you were talking a little bit about the the takeaways. So uh, for me on this one, there's a couple things that might surprise you. So I would say one of my and I mentioned two of them. So, so one was the, I had a lot of conversations about with millennials about the difference in the way that millennials approach jobs and the amount of time they stay in them as compared to those of us who are of uh, classified with the boomer uh, generation. And that was really eye-opening for me. And there's a, there's a lot that I that I know I, I take from that that I'll I'll use in other ways as I kind of you know confirm some of the things that I, I was told. There was also a great set of sessions that came up from the notion of saying someone said you know every time that I hear somebody talk about failure, they talk about the failure. And they talk about how it, things turn around for them and they're doing something really great now. And usually what they say is failed. Then there was this dark period and then everything is great. And they said, I would like to talk about this in-between period and what happens when in in the thing where you say, and then it was dark for a while. And I actually think that was really valuable for people because a lot of people in transition are feeling, you know, chaos and the whole notion of of being in transition. And to be around uh, people who've been through that or part of it is is really a, a connecting thing where you can you can learn a lot. So let's wrap it up and and just say I, I'm assuming that you think that an unconference is a risk worth taking. I do too. I think that it really depends on the people putting it on. It depends a lot on the on the people who are attending. Like I say, you what you get out of it depends on what you put into it. But um, let's wrap it up, Dennis, with your final thoughts on uh, I guess the future of unconferences. Whether or not you think our listeners should attend an unconference uh, if it's available to them, and uh, any parting thoughts. So I love unconferences, and and so the thing for me is that I I think that one of the things I like is what I call the interaction efficiency of unconferences. So. Probably if there were 60 people there, I probably had conversations with two thirds of them. And that is like a networking efficiency that you don't get at any traditional conference, especially if you're an introvert. Um, and I think I think that's common. And I also like the fact that people um, actively at the end of these things are saying like, hey, how can we continue this conversation? Like, how how can we get together? Can we do another one? And so, and, and again, that's not, that does not happen at the traditional conference. So I think that for me, I would say that I know that Cat Moon is talking about doing more of these failure camps. And like you said, Tom, it might be 
sitting at your cup of tea. But I think an unconference on a topic that's really important to you could be an amazing ex- experience for people. And, and, and I think if you've been at these conferences where people are just like, slogging, you know, presenter after presenter, just throwing information at you, or these these panels where people aren't totally prepared, um, the unconferencing just becomes really attractive. And even just as, you know, a break from the standard approach, I think it's worthwhile. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I know these things have been done with like lo- very large numbers of people, but I think you really have to have somebody who can facilitate that well. But I think in the setting, say anywhere from 20 to 100 people, um, I think it's, I just love the format. All right. Well, that's it for this uh, segment. Let's uh, take a break for a message from our sponsors before we move on to our next segment. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. Text Expander is a productivity multiplier. Lawyers love Text Expander because with a short abbreviation or search while typing, Text Expander can produce cover emails for invoices or signing instructions, insert templates for consistent meeting notes, perform accurate date math on the fly, and instantly present things you retype all the time. Text Expander runs on Macs, iPhones, iPads, and Windows and works in any application. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast for 20% off your first year. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we want to go from uh, low-tech to high-tech, and we're going to focus on one of our favorite personal group and collaboration tools, and, and that's the simple whiteboard. I mean, other than the major ink smudging and hand discoloration that I associate with dry erase boards as a left-hander, I find the the whiteboard to be an essential tool in almost everything I do these days. So we wanted to talk about the utility of whiteboards for us and how there are now tech forms of of whiteboards that maybe uh, address some of the drawbacks of, of whiteboards and open up even more ways for us to use them. Tom, your thoughts? So the historic problem with the whiteboard is that it is fixed in one physical place. So the only people who can see and interact with them are the ones who happen to be in the room with the whiteboard. And so in response to that, you've seen a lot of smart whiteboards that have come out that have made it easy to save off information that you put on a whiteboard and save it off and send it to people. But there haven't been a lot of tools that allow collaboration outside of the room where the whiteboard lives. So I'm always interested, you know, having co-authored the book on collaboration with you, I'm always interested in ways of finding better ways to collaborate using a whiteboard. And there are two products that I like. One is software, one is physical. Um, the first, the physical one is, um, is Google's Jamboard. Not 
terribly expensive. A uh, corporation can afford it. It's four or five thousand dollars. Um, it's not cheap by any means, but it's not an unaffordable piece of equipment. But it's a it's a whiteboard that are like many of the others, but it's wireless. You can they call it when you're doing a meeting or doing something on it you're you they call it a jam you can join a jam from anywhere you can join it on your phone on your tablet on your computer if you have the app or if you're just joining from the web and you can participate in drawing on the whiteboard from wherever you happen to be um so i'm i'm intrigued by that that's a nice piece of equipment because it's connected to the internet and people can and can participate wherever they happen to be if that's a little pricey for you, so yep, that might be pricey. I'll head all the way down to free. And then it, that's looking at Microsoft's whiteboard tool. It's a software solution. It's totally free. You just download it to your computer or your tablet, and then you can share it with anybody in your meeting. Now, because it's integrated with Microsoft Teams, um, you can pull up a whiteboard in a Teams meeting, and everyone can contribute. If you, know, you obviously have to have a touch screen to be able to do that, um, but yeah, that's a free tool. I've used it with many clients on on occasion. It's very good, um, solid whiteboard tool to use. And another Microsoft tool that I'm starting to use is more around capturing a completed whiteboard um, to save for future reference. We, in our meetings, will have discussions, we'll do things on a whiteboard, and we need to capture it so we can take good notes and, and have, a, have a record of the meeting. And, um, and I know that's something you want to talk a little bit more about, Dennis. The, one of the apps that I use these days is Microsoft's Office Lens. Um, it's just a basic scanning app, and it's free to download, but it, it has the ability to scan an image you just specify that it's a whiteboard and when you take a picture of that whiteboard it will automatically straighten it and clean it up so it's relatively easy to view and see all the information it's a great way to capture all of that uh, that information to save later um, if you need it um, but those are the three things that i think are interesting ways of extending the, the humble whiteboard into more interesting collaborative tools. Dennis, what are you seeing these days uh, in technology uh, in the area of whiteboards that are you're finding interesting? Well, I think that uh, th there is a big thing about capture. And so, uh, frankly, there's nothing easier than just taking a picture of a whiteboard at the, the end of, of the session. So that's pretty simple. It does I, I like what you were describing with Office Lens, though, of, of it actually cleaning things up and maybe addressing some of the reflection and other issues. There is often the issue of uh, people's terrible handwriting, but, uh, you know, that's that sort of is what it is. And for me, whiteboards is a couple things, you know, like finding uh, good dry erase pens, deciding which size uh, fits for you. I've tried smaller and larger ones. And the s small ones, I love the idea of it, but uh, they've never worked for me. So large ones work. Tom, you and I have talked about the Rocket Book as a, a notebook that you can you can scan and erase and reuse. They have a, a new product coming out called Beacons. I think it's coming out. I, I can't really tell that it's currently available. And it allows you to put these four physical markers at the the corners of your whiteboard and you can scan it in uh, as you would a, a rocket book page and 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 have all the the benefits of that so so that's sort of that's sort of interesting and then my last idea is I love the conference rooms where there's a whole wall that's a whiteboard and so we had some of those at MasterCard and and those were great although 
you got to make sure that that it actually is a dry erase board because you can uh, can really cause some problems if you start drawing all over a wall that's not not a whiteboard. Um, so that's one thing. And then I really have been intrigued, and I might have mentioned this on our podcast on virtual reality, Tom, but I just love the idea that I could use virtual reality uh, goggles and sort of have this infinite whiteboard that I could walk around in and write all over the place, and I wasn't limited by size or anything else. Um, I thought it was, that was going to be like, I almost called up a patent lawyer because I thought it was going to be my greatest invention ever, but I, I see that uh, other people had the, had the same idea before. But so I think that virtual reality, you know, could be another way that you could do the whiteboard thing in, in some, some interesting ways. But now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Okay, I am indeed losing my voice, so I'm going to make this quick. Um, read an article this past week called The Hidden Costs of Automated Thinking. It's by Jonathan, I think his name is Zitrain. Um, he's a professor at Harvard Law School, um, and he's a professor of internet law. And he has a nice uh, article talking about the idea of the intellectual debt that is created as part of artificial intelligence. And he compares it to the modern miracles that we're seeing with medicine, where medicine um, is is able to cure things or make people feel better, and we don't know exactly why it's happening. And he compares it to artificial intelligence, saying that artificial intelligence is doing a lot of great things for us, but we don't know exactly why that's happening. And he's not anti-artificial intelligence here. He just wants us to think about how we're using it, what we're using it for, and it's a real thoughtful read on, uh, on, on I guess, the hidden co- what he calls the hidden costs of automated thinking. Worth a, worth a, a read. It's in the New Yorker, um, I think, and this most recent issue, but I'll make sure that there's a link up in the show notes. Yeah, I think that's a big issue. We've talked about that in e-discovery before. What happens when artificial intelligence is starting to do things that make sense, but we don't understand why? So I have uh, sort of a three-part parting shot. And so usually we're thinking about how can technology be improved, you know, to, to make people more efficient, um, and there's actually some some tools that look to say, how can we make people more efficient and work better with the technology? Um, and so looking at the at the the people is kind of the choke point. So those of us who can't type very fast, you know, or can't input data by keyboard as fast as other people. Same thing if you're dis- disabled. If you can't, if I can read a lot faster than you, then that has uh, consequences uh, of its own. So 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 three things to think about. Um, that uh, I, I'm going to recommend people take a look at. So one is called Spreed, S-P-R-E-E-D. And it's uh, a category of tools that allows you to display words in a way, um, either as, as one word or as a set of words that allow you to crank up your reading speed just because you're able to see things at a group that the, in a grouping that the eye takes in and you can just crank up the speed those those words flash on the screen and people can double triple their their readings 
speed with this. The second one is that we've learned that if you're trying to remember things, uh, especially when you're, you're learning things, you can use a technique called spaced repetition that allows you to, to essentially use flashcards, but then to um, start to drop out the ones that you already know uh, and not look at them as often and then spend more time on the stuff that you don't know and that you you can learn a lot better or more efficiently that way. So there's an app called Anki, A-N-K-I, and then there's also a website that's uh, dedicated toward uh, law schools and legal education called spacedrepetition.com. Um, that use this technique. And I, you know, when I, I thought about Anki and spacerepetition.com with students taking the bar exam, I think this week, that I think, in the, especially in the last week of studying for the bar exam, that type of approach with space uh, repetition would be amazingly useful. So something to look at to say like, hey, maybe I don't need to crank up my technology. Maybe I need to crank up me a little bit. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember we have voicemail. We love to get voice messages for our B segment. Reach out to us on LinkedIn or leave us that voicemail at area code 720 720- Four four one six eight two zero. That's seven two zero four four one six eight two zero. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile and I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.